Hello and welcome to the Arsenal Way. Back again with you guys for another episode of our View from the Clock End podcast series. I'm joined, as always, by the chief Arsenal writer at Football.London, Kaya Kainak. How are you doing, mate? You good? You well? I'm very good. Thank you, Tom. How about yourself? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Uh, a lot worse had I have had a 12-hour round trip to Liverpool, mm. uh, <laughs> to be fair. Uh, you didn't have the best of days travel-wise yesterday. No, uh, it was a long journey up. Um, I was I stuck in traffic on the M1 for a good hour. Um, just mm. a massive crash. It's always the way on Easter Sunday. So, and with all the train strikes and all that kind of stuff going on here in the UK, it's been it's been tricky to get around. And it's, it's away at Liverpool was not the kind of game you wanted. And to to throw something else into the mix, I, I did a, a Joe Wicks leg workout uh, the day before, yeah. and pushing down on pedals was was not something my body was equipped for the day the day after um so yeah, yeah trying to trying to recover from that but uh the, yes the joys of manual driving eh? <laughs> exactly exactly but it was a good game so that made it worthwhile mm. yeah it was a good game uh the, the classic phrase of a good game for the neutral uh probably rings true more than any uh for yesterday from the perspective of both arsenal and liverpool fans i think there are frustrations i think there are things to be thankful of in both senses as well and you know, I guess it depends maybe a little bit what kind of person you are as to how you view you know, the game, as whether it's two points dropped or one point gained. But I think there's arguments in both camps as to, to what this means for Arsenal. But just give me kind of your immediate reaction to, to the result. The result, I think, in the cold light of day is a very good one for Arsenal, especially when you consider how Liverpool dominated in the second half and how they missed the penalty, how Aaron Ramsdale pulled off two absolutely world-class saves in the last two minutes of the match. I don't really think you can argue that Arsenal should have won the game. So in the grand scheme of things, a draw is, is a pretty good result. I think the XG on the day was maybe 4-1 in Liverpool's favour or something crazy like that. So Arsenal will, will be happy with the fact they've come out of there. When you start to look at it in a slightly broader perspective, away from just the result though, you look at the title race and you, you do see that Man City technically is in their hands. It's also in Arsenal's hands as well. If that's the way you want to look at it. But Obviously, City had the home game against Arsenal and they have a very fortunate-looking run-in. So, it's one of them where I don't know if Arsenal could have done too much better on the day and got too much more out of the game the way it was. Obviously, there was that Marcelli chance at the end and maybe you're talking about a whole different story, but if you want to play that game, then Liverpool could argue that they should have scored several others. So, it's a really tricky one. I think probably two points dropped in the scheme of the fact that they were three minutes away from getting all three, but... I think now we can step back a bit from it. It's probably one point gained. Yeah, I think so. I, I I certainly came away from it with two emotions. One was obviously gutted that we couldn't take advantage of the 2-0. But in the end, I think relieved that we ended the game with, with our unbeaten run intact with the point gained uh, and that you're not having to respond to a disappointing defeat at, at Anfield after having such an explosive start. Um, I think... A lot of the context around the game is the way in which it kind of turned from one side to the other. Uh, the first 30-plus minutes were obviously far more in Arsenal's favour. And I don't think Arsenal... I, I think when I look at the way in which we go to a big away games, I don't think we've started an away game in such a high-pressure moment better than we did in this one. It was the perfect kind of storm for the two goals. Yes, there was opportunities for Liverpool, which there's always going to be when you go to a team that good. But... I really was impressed by the way in which we built play and, and dominated and kind of suffocated in moments the way that Liverpool were trying to come out from the back. Yeah, I'm with you. I thought Arsenal played really well at the start. Um, I think the biggest compliment you could give to Arsenal was that it looks like first versus eighth in the Premier League. Obviously, that's where the teams were in the table and it really looked like that. It looked like Arsenal were the best team in the country. 
it looked like Liverpool were a mid-table side. And this is a mm. Liverpool team who had the third best record at home in the Premier League this season. So you can't just write that off. And yeah, the pressing was good. The playing out from the back was good. The way Arsenal were dominating the midfield was good. Zinchenko coming in was causing problems. Gabriel was marking Salah out of the game. Um, Saka was a real threat. Martinelli was a real threat. Jesus was causing all manner of problems. So yeah, things were going really well for the first 40 minutes for Arsenal. And they were deservedly two goals up. I even... Sort of, I don't want to take jinxing powers to myself, but I, I leaned over to a colleague sat next to me and said, look, 3-0 before half-time would be really, really good for Arsenal. And then obviously things started to go a little bit south after that. But yeah, I, I don't remember when you said that, is there a better start that Arsenal have had in a big game away from home? I can't think of one, to be honest. And maybe when Mikel Arteta looks back on that and he immediately said this in his post-match press conference, that will be the bit of the game that he wants to cling on to. That will be the bit that he focuses on. He says, look, you proved you can do this away from home. Now let's go and do it over 90 minutes against maybe Manchester City at the Etihad. But yeah, those first 40 minutes for Arsenal were superb. And that was that was title-winning football for the first 40 minutes. So, yeah. Yeah, well described. Um, the the pressure, the, the composure, I think, from both Martinelli and, uh, and from Jesus in the box when the chances came was was really good. And it felt from the first minute, you know, that shot that Xhaka had that was parried away for a corner in the first moments, it felt as though Arsenal were really coming with intent. Uh, there was some fortune. Andrew Robertson had a great chance that he just dragged past the post um, in the opening minutes. And, you know, that could have changed things. But I felt as though the game, obviously, as I think most people would agree, kind of changed a bit when the Granite Xhaka, Trent Alexander-Arnold incident came out. Now, I know that you've got uh, a piece talking about the defence of, of Granite Xhaka. So tell me your thoughts around the, the whole incident and then I'll give you mine. Yeah, being inside the ground, I don't think it was actually quite as um, pivotal as people seem to have made it out to be. Uh, I do think the Liverpool fans were already, they had their backs up before that point and it doesn't take a lot to, to set Anfield ablaze and Arsene Wenger described it as the most heated stadium in the world and when the home fans get against you, they suddenly do start to get very, very difficult to deal with. And Arsenal found that. And I think Arsenal were doing what they've been doing all season in big away games, which is a bit of, you know, S-housery. They've been doing it pretty well. Gabriel Jesus was a lot of play acting from him, spending a lot of time on the floor, which I don't think is necessarily a problem, but he was doing it. Uh, Gabriel took a long time to get treatment for an injury. Aaron Ramsdale was the same. Even Bukayat Bissaka, who I think, you know, would, we would quite obviously argues one of the nicest people in this Arsenal side, even he was annoying them. Even he got under their skin by kicking the ball away when he'd been flagged up for offside. So the atmosphere was already pretty bubbly. I don't think that the Xhaka-Trent one was quite as much of a turning point as people think. I do think that, let's say, if it had been Zinchenko who clattered into the back of Trent Alexander-Arnold, I don't think we'd be talking about this in the same way. I think it's largely because it, it being Granit Xhaka and his reputation that precedes him, even though this season, he's largely been able to keep that in check. And he's been quite clever with the way he's used his aggression, if you like. I remember uh, one minute at the end of the, the Chelsea game at Stamford Bridge where he got into a fight with Trevor Chalobah and it never looked for a second like he was out of control in that fight. And I did kind of get the same sense here. I didn't feel like he was ever unhinged within the argument. It just felt like he was trying to give Trent Alexander a little bit just after Canati had given him a little bit. So... Yeah, I'm not quite having it as the the pivotal moment as everyone seems to have been saying. Just from being inside the stadium, I didn't quite notice the sort of light switch, light change that people seem to have suggested. And I don't think it caused the the goals that Arsenal conceded. Mikel Arteta said this in his press conference again. Um, Arsenal had a chance to go 3-0 up, not too far after that. And again, you know, Ben White overcommits um, in the right-back position, which leaves space in behind. Thomas Partey doesn't track his runner. Henderson 
accidentally hits the ball into Salah's path and suddenly Liverpool have a goal back. If they don't get those series of fortunate events, it's 2-0 at half-time and Arsenal can go into the break thinking, wow, this is beyond our wildest dreams. We're 2-0 up at Anfield at half-time and the home fans maybe don't quite have that same sense of belief that they had going into the second half. So I'm not fully convinced it was as pivotal as, as people seem to be saying, but I'm interested to hear what you say because it, it sounds like you disagree. Uh, well, I mean, after the game... In the raw emotions of the game, I looked at that and I thought that's why we've not won. Um, I thought that moment was the reason why the game turned. I think maybe less so the crowd, more so Liverpool and the players in that moment. Because before that, I felt as though even though the Liverpool had some chances, Arsenal felt like they were the better side. And as you were saying, it looked like first versus eighth. And Trent this season has obviously come under a lot of scrutiny. And I think he actually went on to go have his probably best game of his season so far uh, in a Liverpool shirt. He was inspired in that moment. He was riled up. A minute after that, I think it was even 30 seconds after that incident happened, he was seen whipping up like the Liverpool crowd, like really going up to the side and whipping them up. And he was really going for it at that point. And I think maybe that performance of him individually was spurred on by that moment in particular. The goal does come fairly soon after from Liverpool's perspective, but you're right to point out that the defensive mistakes were there. It wasn't like it was a, a surging run from Liverpool that was a brilliant piece of play. You know, there were certainly instances of, of fortune and bad defending uh, going against us for that moment. And I think, you know, if you look at what's the bigger reason, if Arsenal go in at half time and it's 2 0, no matter what happened with that moment with Xhaka, we probably go on to win the game, I think. But with it being 2-1 at halftime, it's a completely different scenario. I just felt like that that was kind of a... If you if you feel as though the game was a bit of a dam and the Giacomo was kind of one screw falling out of the dam, if you like, and then, you know, certainly cracks started to appear and then that led and snowballed into what we saw in the second half. But I think I've gone from thinking it was the reason to thinking it was a reason as to why we ended up not winning the game. Um, the Obviously, in the second half, we were under the cosh for the majority of it and certainly played like the away side, as the cliche goes, in the game. There were chances we had, obviously, to, to try and get a goal. Um, but it always felt like it was going to be an inevitability that Liverpool would score. Before we got to that, there was a penalty incident. Now, Rob Holding was the victim, or not the victim, but certainly the man uh, that left uh, nothing, I don't think, really up for debate around the penalty. I thought it was a penalty. I thought as soon as it was given, VAR was never going to overturn it. I felt as though if it wasn't given by the official, it's also probably one of those where the, the VAR probably wouldn't overturn it in that case either. Um but he brings Jota down. I think he's a bit unlucky because I think he's unsighted with Jota coming across him. And it's just one of those where two players come together and in the box, the referee's got a decision to make and he gives it. When Salah misses that penalty, how did you feel in the sense of... Because I felt as though if he scores it, I think Liverpool go on to win the game. When he misses it, I almost felt like it was an opportunity for Arsenal to then use that as their own kind of turning point and didn't necessarily do that. Yeah, I think Arsenal sat back a lot in the second half. Part of that was enforced by the way Liverpool were playing, but part of it was mm. enforced by how poor they were in possession. And they went long a lot up to Jesus, yeah. who was sort of playing as a target man. And he was doing pretty well. If you think about the size of Canate and, and Van Dijk, that's not easy, especially when Jesus isn't the biggest guy in the world. But he can only do that himself so much. And I do think if Arsenal had maybe tried a bit more to just keep their heads and keep a bit more composure in possession and just ride the storm a little bit of that Liverpool press it might have been a bit different but it's very much easier said than done and 
Anfield is this sort of incalculable factor that you can't really control. You can't really ever understand really how it impacts a player on the pitch, how much, how horrible it is to be trying to deal with that when you're trying to focus on keeping the ball and playing the most accurate pass and you've got these 54,000 fans screaming with such cacophonous noise right in your ears. It's very, very difficult. But if you want to win Premier Leagues, that is also very difficult. So sometimes it's what you need to do. I don't think the penalty would have been... Um, the turning point that, like you say, Arsenal were hoping for just because they, they didn't really come out of their shells even after that. And it didn't seem to me like Liverpool thought, oh, we've missed this penalty, we're never going to score. It really felt inevitable, like you were saying before, that Liverpool eventually turned the screw. I do think as it got towards those closing stages, the way Arsenal were defending, they maybe thought they were going to win. And I look at the way Gabriel collapsed the floor, Ben White collapsed the floor. I think Aaron Ramsdale was pretty upset after the goal went in. And Granit Xhaka was furious with his Arsenal teammates for being so upset with the way they conceded. But I think if you look at that and the devastation that they felt afterwards, um, that clearly suggests to me they really thought they were going to get over the line, as they have done so often this season. But I just don't think they were solid enough in possession. I don't think they were brave enough in possession. But like I say, very much easier said than done. And I'm happy to give them a bit of leeway on that one. Yeah, I think so. The The big thing about the second half for most supporters and arguably what I think maybe makes me lean towards why this is an opportunity miss is I felt the substitutions from Arteta unfortunately lent and I think gave Liverpool an incentive rather than giving us the onus of, of going to try and get the win in the game because when Fabinho came off and they went down to having... Henderson and Thiago, who are not the most mobile of players. You know, you turn them and they're not catching. And I felt as though when they removed Fabinho and went to four up front and we then decided to bring off Erdegaard for Kivior and go to a back five, even though we'd obviously then it was a like-for-like change with Jesus and um, and uh, Trossard. I felt as though if we'd have maybe decided to go with, say, a Smith-Rowe or a Vieira or even a Jorginho just to keep the kind of numerical advantage in the midfield, that we may have been able to have a better foundation to attack because, as I said in the first part, I felt as though Liverpool's equaliser was still always going to be an inevitability, no matter how long we were going to defend for and how deep or how many players were there to defend. So what did you make of Arteta's decision-making with the substitutions? I thought the 3-5-2 was a little bit early. Um, mm. He went with it, what was it, around 75 minutes when Kibio yeah. came off the so yeah. still with added time, got about 20 minutes left at that point. And the way Arsenal were defending the level of stress that you're put under from basically minute 45 to minute 75 with the way Liverpool were attacking, the way Arsenal were having to cope with that. I think it was a real problem in the sense that they could never get out. And maybe with some more positive changes, Arsenal might have been able to get a bit more of a foot on the ball. They might have been able to get a bit more of a foothold in the game and a bit more control. And I personally thought the game was crying out for Jorginho. I thought if you want to take the sting out of any Liverpool attacks, then he's your perfect guy. Uh, He's the one of the most press-resistant players in the world, I think. And he's he's very good at just slowing down the tempo, understanding when it needs to be given quickly, given slowly. I just think he would have been a really good change. And maybe you bring him on for Odegaard instead, you move Partey further forward or, you know, something like that. I'm not 100% sure about maybe leaving so many players going forward or bring on a Smith-Rowe just because I felt that you did need defensively solid minds in that midfield with the way Liverpool were playing. But... 
And I thought that the counter-attacking players Arsenal left on the pitch were the right ones. And we saw that with the opportunities that Saka and Martinelli were able to create for themselves and, and Trossard as well. So the game could easily have been won on many of those counters, but Arsenal did manage to do it. I don't think they were helped with the with the subs. I do think, you know, the Kivior substitution sort of forced them to retreat right back onto their six-yard box. And that was a problem for Arsenal because, like I say, they couldn't get out. And maintaining that level of concentration and focus when you're under that level of intensity and stress is it's really 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 difficult and yeah I'm just I'm just not sure it was it was what was needed in the situation it is it's brave to to avoid a substitution like that it's brave to be offensive and attacking but normally Mikel Arteta is with the substitutions and I, I felt he was a bit negative there I, I would have probably tried to stick with the back four for as long as possible and then maybe once you get to 88 89 then you start bringing on Kivior because then it's really you know, all hands the yeah. all hands on deck kind of thing. But seventy five minutes did feel a bit early for that kind of that kind of defensive change. Yeah, and I I found it odd that that was the change around the seventy fifth, and that it was actually the Tierney Zinchenko change that was happening so late. I, I, you know, if anything, you'd swap those two around and you'd bring Tierney on for the last fifteen twenty minutes for for Zinchenko instead. It was yeah, I found it was a bit odd. Have you just dropped your phone? Uh, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> there we go. <laughs> I'm back. I'm back. Did you hear what I said? Yes, yes, I could hear what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah I yeah. mean, sorry. I, 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 no, no, I was just like, there was part of me that would have been tempted to even bring Tierney on at half time for Zinchenko because <laughs> I felt as though that Arsenal were always looking at being a bit vulnerable in that area on that left-hand side. And I was actually really impressed by Tierney when he came off the bench. I thought he had a really good cameo as well. Is Some that, fans that- are suggest. Sorry, go on. No, he dealt with Salah very well, was what I was saying. Yeah, he did. And I felt as though a lot of fans suggested that he should start this game. I didn't go that far. I thought that Zinchenko was the right choice and continue. We, I think we dominated the first half with a lot of, of what Zinchenko was offering with the backup and the reinforcements to the midfield. But I just felt as though introducing Tierney into the second half, be it halftime, be it slightly earlier on, get, would have given Arsenal maybe a little bit more security, a little bit more uh, ability to deal with with Salah and maybe then even would have convinced Arteta that Kivior wasn't necessarily needed that early on in the game. Um, but he, he, for some reason, left him on to the 87th and literally as he was about to bring Tierney on, Zinchenko gets nutmegged and the equaliser comes from that position. So what did you make of that substitution in particular? I agree. I thought it could have come a bit earlier. I wouldn't have gone half-time. I think that might have been a bit soon just because I think if mm. Arsenal were going to get control of the game, which is probably what Arteta wanted, and get back to where they were playing the first 40 minutes. As you say, Zinchenko was really important to that. So keeping him on, sorry, and keeping the midfield nice and flooded was, I think, what Arteta wanted to do. But I think Tierney should have come on a bit earlier. Yes, I would have brought him on maybe in the 75th minute, just because Salah was causing a lot of problems down the down the left side, particularly when Gabriel, who'd essentially been marking him out of the game, playing mostly left-back on that mm. side of the pitch... Suddenly, Gabriel had to come in field when Liverpool were really attacking and Arsenal having to defend their own 18-yard box. And that meant that Salah and Zinchenko were 1v1 quite a lot of the time. And I really thought Zinchenko was struggling. You saw his limitations as a fullback, And I think for everything he offers offensively, defensively, he's not as good. And that's, that's, that's the, the, sort of the, the change the, the change-off you take with Zinchenko because he's so good on the ball. You're willing to forgive maybe one or two things that he's lacking defensively and he's put out on Instagram he said not my best day at the office and you know it's hard to disagree I, I didn't think he was as at his best particularly in the second half and yeah Tierney coming on a bit earlier and I actually thought Tierney contributed quite well to the attack I thought he gave Martinelli a little bit more license to go slightly further forward because Martinelli wasn't having to drop so deep maybe as much and that counter-attack was a bit more on and 
yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I, I would maybe have swapped the Tierney and Kibior substitutions around in terms of timing, maybe Tierney on 75th, Kibior on 87th, but hindsight's a wonderful thing. That is a lot. It's a really wonderful thing, of course. And I think a lot of supporters may be uh, turning around and saying, you know, it's easy for people to sit. And we certainly, when I was doing the post-match show with Umar yesterday and the, the throes of the of the reaction to the game, it was pointed out saying, you know, it's easy to sit here and say what we would do differently. We're not Mikel Arteta there. And whilst I get that, it's also important to remember that football is a game of opinions. And, you know, that's, that's what we're here to talk about and discuss. And still we can be. We can have all the praise in the world. And we've certainly thrown all the praise in the world around this season because it's been absolutely worthy of receiving that. But at the same time, you know, when there are things that we think maybe we could do better or improve because we've made mistakes, it's also important to highlight them. What do you think this result does? Actually, before I'd say that, I think it's really important to discuss what happened at the end of the game with Aaron Ramsdale, um, who was absolutely inspired you know, with the performance that we saw. This season's been interesting for Ramsdale because last season, obviously, he was a new player in the team. We were in awe of his distribution and the improvement in what we got from a goalkeeper with that. And he pulled off some of the saves like he did uh, against Leicester with the James Madison cricket, which I actually thought was quite similar of a save to what he made from Salah's deflected shot, the stretch of the fingertips to get his hand onto it. But actually, this season, I feel as though, especially in the first half of the season, he's not necessarily been getting the praise that maybe he got last season. I think we've seen games in the second half of the season like Villa away, um, Bournemouth at home, where he's pulled off some really high-pressure moment saves in those games. But I feel as though he still has only got better since last season. He's only become more familiar with the team since last season. His distribution maybe is not as pronounced because it's it's not as new to us as it was last season. But, you know, his shot stopping at the end of yesterday's game was just world class. Yeah. I think since the World Cup, Aaron Ramsdale has been absolutely outstanding. I can't think of a game where he's necessarily cost Arsenal at all or caused them any problems. I can only think mm. of games where he saved them points or been man of the match. And you think back to that uh, Spurs game in January where he got kicked by that idiot fan. He was man of the match in that game and he was fantastic and he's been pretty much the same ever since. Um, like you say, those Bournemouth saves which kept Arsenal in the game uh, made it 3-2 in the end, essentially. It would have been a lot worse for Arsenal if, if, if he hadn't been as good as he was and it would have been the same yesterday, a lot worse if he hadn't been as good as he was. I think maybe people have clouded their judgment of Ramsdale a touch just because his start to the season wasn't as good as maybe people would have hoped. He had those first couple of games where I think particularly the Leicester game, people were quite critical of him because maybe they said he should have done better for Saliba's own goal and maybe he should have done better for Madison's near post shot. And once you get that at the start of the season, it's quite difficult to shake it off, particularly when maybe uh, people aren't watching you every single week and watching the saves you're making and watching the way you're playing. But I think he's been outstanding, especially since the World Cup. And if Arsenal go on to win the league, and I asked Mikel Arteta about this in his press conference after the game yesterday, if Arsenal go on to win the league... Aaron Ramsdale will be as worthy of a winner's medal as Gabriel Jesus or Martin Erdegaard or Bakayo Saka or any of those outfield attacking players because he's been so key and he's bailed Arsenal out on a lot of occasions. We we are quite willing to praise William Saliba and, and Gabriel and Ben White and Zinchenko for being so good as a back four this season, but there have been occasions where they've been beaten and Aaron Ramsdale has, has bailed them out and he does it time and again. And yeah, Arsenal are very lucky to have him and... Every time you think about it, you just think, what a signing. Because no one saw it. No one saw it coming. 32 million from Sheffield United. Everyone thought Arsenal were crazy. They were laughed at. They were ridiculed. And, you know, who's laughing now? Aaron Ramsdale is one, I think, for sure. 
think he has. Yeah, I'd be fair to say uh, he's done brilliantly well. He's justified everything um, that he's been at Arsenal. I think you know, still being a young keeper, what, is he twenty four now? Um, so I'm going to quick check on his age. He's twenty four. <laughs> yeah, twenty four. He's twenty five in May. He's still a young goalkeeper. You know, we the, the stereotypical. You know, twenty eight is a young goalkeeper. <laughs> you know, but uh, at twenty four could be Arsenal's keeper for the foreseeable future. Uh, and it gives Arsenal, you know, which is something that we've not had, you know, for a long, long time at this club. You know, I, I go back as far as David Seaman in this case, because obviously Jens Lehmann was, you know, brought in as basically a guy that could give you an immediate quality when he signed, was not a long-term goalkeeping option when we got him from Borussia Dortmund. We went through that phase of, is it going to be Almunia? And then we had uh, Vita Manone for a bit, Wojciech Szczesny, of course. Um, David Ospina had a period in goal for us. Petr Cech eventually came in um, and took that position. Then we bought Bert Leno. And when we signed Bert Leno, again, a, a young age when he was at Bayer Leverkusen, you thought, oh, maybe he's going to be the guy that will be Arsenal's keeper for the foreseeable future. But it quickly became apparent that when Arteta took over that his distribution was not of the level that he required. And that was absolutely a fair assumption. Great shot stopper and has done that at Fulham again this season, I think, and had a really solid campaign for them and will be a good goalkeeper for them in their context as they try and push for a future European place, maybe. We'll see. But ultimately, Ramsdale looks to be as good of a keeper as Arsenal could have got and will get and have had uh, in comparison to past goalkeepers as well. So I'm very much looking forward to seeing him blossom and continue to improve and to continue to wind up away fans as he stands in front of them in uh, <laughs> in the away grounds during the season. So, yes, uh, before I asked about Ramsdale, I was going to allude to the fact that I wanted to ask about where you think this leaves us, what type of result you think this has from a mentality standpoint on the season. Um, we said at the start of the show that you felt that it was more of one-point gains than two points dropped. And actually linking back into that last question about Ramsdale, do you think the way in which the game ended will actually act as a bit of a, a, a propulsion, if you like, rather than maybe a hit to confidence? I think... It's very difficult to spin it as a propulsion when they've conceded an 87th minute to... to I know. What if it was a 95th minute equaliser? <laughs> it would have been even worse. And if, if yeah. it had been a 95th minute winner, it would have been even worse, I mm. think, for for Arsenal. So it, it could have been a real problem for them. And they have Aaron Ramsdale to thank for the fact that it isn't. I asked Arteta about that again. And he said, when you concede that late, it's always two points drops. And I think that's how the players felt. And they do seem a bit gutted and... You look at the social media posts, you can read too much in social media posts because a lot of players, they maybe have their social media managed by teams or whoever, but it does seem as though the players are a bit frustrated. They they all said, not the result we wanted. And I think they all went there hoping to win. I don't think anyone was necessarily going to be happy with the draw. So it's not been ideal for Arsenal in that sense, but I do think it could have been a lot, lot worse. And when they come in today, when they do an analysis of the game and they start their recovery, I'm sure Arteta will be telling them that. And I'm sure... All the coaching staff will be telling them that. So, yeah, it could have been much, much worse for Arsenal. Yeah, it really, really could have been a lot, lot worse. Um, and I think that now all the focus, obviously, is on these these upcoming games. And West Ham is next. I don't know if we're going to record a podcast before then. So, just briefly on that, West Ham play on Thursday. Uh, and they play in Belgium, actually. They go to Ghent to, to play in the UEFA Conference League. We're obviously not in European competition anymore. Um, I'm actually doing a piece this afternoon looking at West Ham's records after they've played uh, in European football. They've played nine games this season, which has been directly followed by a Premier League game because there was one game where it was like back-to-backs. I think it was the the suspension of the Premier League fixtures. Um, 
They've only won three of the games they've played after playing in Europe, losing four and drawing two. So, and two of those uh, uh, four losses were at home as well against Brighton and Crystal Palace. So there is an argument here that Arsenal might get that benefit of not being in Europe in the crunch point of the season. I feel like West Ham's record's been pretty bad anyway, all season. <laughs> yes, but it's it's really important I write this piece. <laughs> I'm sorry to, to rain on your on your piece. I forget I said that. We can cut that out in the edit. I think uh I think Arsenal should be beating West Ham because West Ham, for my money, are not a very good team this year. I don't think any of their new signings have really gelled or hit the ground running still. You look at a lot of the signings they made in the summer, and I, I thought they were going to be a really good team this season. I thought Skamaka was a good signing. Paqueta, obviously, was someone who was even linked to Arsenal. Aged looked like a good player at the back as well. Uh, Tilo Kera, plenty of good players on paper, but none of it's really worked out so far. And I, I still don't think David Moyes knows his his strongest eleven. I still don't think he knows exactly how he wants to play this West Ham side, and he's sort of gone back a bit to the team that that did okay last season, but. Moyes has a knack for for getting results when he needs them, and if West Ham get ahead, I think it could be really difficult for Arsenal. But I'm not sure they will be able to, and I think Arsenal have to go into that game wanting to win. It'll be one of them where City play first again, and that could put a bit of pressure on the match for Arsenal, especially now the gap's only six points, potentially three by the time they kick off. But I think Arsenal will go into that knowing they have to win. And generally, when they've done that this season, they've been pretty good at producing results and performances. Even yesterday. When they went in knowing they had to win, they did produce a decent performance for the first forty minutes of the match. So, yeah, you have to back Arsenal to win that game, and I don't think West Ham are maybe as formidable a force as they they were last season. Yeah, I think that's absolutely fair. You know, last season's game was ironically reliant upon a Rob Holding header um, to to get a result. Gabriel, of course, the other one, two centre back scoring in that game. I'd feel as though the game will play out a lot differently than Arsenal having to rely on set pieces to to get the result in this fixture. I also feel as though with Gabriel Jesus scoring, that's three and two now for him. We've almost feel like we've found, I think he's actually ironically in such a short space of time, come back an even better player than he maybe left us because he was obviously 12 games without a goal. I think it was 12 um, before the World Cup. And that obviously extended until he got his first goal um, when he started and scored the penalty. But do you feel as though now this Arsenal team in this kind of gear with such a focus, such a blinkered look at the rest of the season with eight games left, will just kind of go into that West Ham game full of confidence and steamroll it? I think they have to. Mm. I think it's sort of beyond the stage now where they really have a choice to feel too sorry or lick their wounds about this Liverpool drop points, if you like. Um, They have to go into it with a mindset of nothing will do other than a win. And Jesus has been a big part of the team's mentality this season in terms of he's got that City experience. He's someone who's clearly very driven to win. He's intense. Everything he does is he does it with a desire to win. Guardiola has said, I think he said, uh, if you put Jesus on for 10 minutes, it'll be the best 10 minutes he's ever played in his life. And I expect Jesus to be a spiritual leader for us on next season, next week, sorry, uh, when they need it. And they probably are a bit down in the dumps this season, but they've been a bit down in the dumps before and every single time they seem to come back well. So after the City loss, they came back and won seven in a row and I'd back them to be able to have a, a similarly positive response to to the knockback, if you can call it that, given that we, I think we agreed at the start of the show that it's actually a pretty decent result for Arsenal. So hopefully they can bounce back well and I think they will. 
Now, the weekend uh, regarding Arsenal was uh, more successful, arguably, for following Balogun, who scored his 18th goal uh, for Rons away uh, on loan in France. Uh, still question marks remain, you know, around his future at the club, what Arsenal should choose to do with him in the summer. So after scoring that 18th goal, which I think, is that now making him level with um, with uh, Hoddle, Glenn Hoddle, I think his record in yes. France. Yes, uh, I think that takes him level with him. So he's one goal from becoming the highest scorer in English. Um, I say English, you know, we don't even know if he's going to represent England in the future. So maybe that record will disappear if he changes allegiances. But um, he's had an unbelievable campaign. And, uh, you know, Arsenal have got a big decision to make in the summer. Yes, and uh, the story has emerged this morning from David Ornstein over The Athletic, hasn't it, that um, he doesn't want to be second choice next season he wants to be first choice if he comes back to Arsenal I don't see that happening uh, because mm. as we've spoken about Gabriel Jesus is not just a really good player but he's a really good leader and a really important figure off the pitch and Nketi has done well this season Trossard's been really good in the false nine Martinelli's played well down the middle I can't see him coming back to the Emirates and being first choice straight away that's just the reality of it and yeah it seems like he could be on his way this summer that will be interesting for Arsenal, how they decide to manage that. Do they look to just cash in and sell for as high a fee as possible and who knows what happens in the future? Or do they look to maybe insert a buy buyback clause or some sort of um, option like that or a sell-on fee or something that will give them a bit of you know a boost in the future? I think that would be smart. I think that would be a really good decision and you know hopefully he goes somewhere and, and does really well if indeed he does go somewhere. But yeah, it's, it's a tricky dilemma for us. It's a tricky balance. But I think where they are now, they have three strikers who are probably, you know, in Jesus and Trossard in the prime of their career and Eddie and Ketia not far off it. So it would be, in my opinion, unfair to those three to bump them down the order unless Balogun comes back and does something really good in pre-season. So if he does need to leave, then yeah, I think that'll be uh, a good move for him. And obviously we did our interview with him in Football London. I spoke to him um last month and he sort of he batted away the question when I asked him about his future quite well you can tell he's been well media trained but um, he he didn't seem to be too focused on that he seemed to be focused on, on getting to the end of the season and, and trying to become top scorer in Liga and get 20 goals and he's on 18 as you say uh, one off Mbappe one off Jonathan David at the top of those Liga scoring charts and if he comes back to England with with a golden boot in Liga then mm. that's only good news for Arsenal because it means his value just skyrockets and it's, it's, it's a big test for Edu. It's a big test because we've spoken a lot about selling players and how difficult it is for him to sell players when their value maybe isn't great. But Flo Balligan's value is probably as good as it's ever going to be uh, after this league, you know, golden boot winning, potentially golden boot winning season. So what Arsenal do with him in the summer and how much money they get for him, that'll be a real test of Edu's uh, metal in the transfer market, I think. Certainly. It's difficult not to see him going for me, you know, in the summer. I think a permanent expert is probably the way in which we're heading towards, especially with, you know, the idea that if he if he wants to play, it's, it's to be first choice. And as you said, it's just not feasible at Arsenal. You cannot be dropping, you know, no matter how many goals he scores. And he'll score, he has scored more goals than Jesus this season. Obviously, I know Jesus has been out a long time. But even I think if Jesus was fully fit, Balogun was still going to go on to score more goals at this rate that he's scoring at than Jesus would have in the Premier League. But it's the contribution outside of just a singular goal tally that Jesus brings to the team. But he levels things up in terms of experience, especially in terms of a title race. It's no surprise Arsenal are in a title race having Jesus as such an integral part of the side. 
I would have liked, you know, it's it's unlucky for Balogun. It really is unlucky. I feel as though he's come good at this time. Had we have been talking about, say, Balogun doing this um, two years ago, which sounds a long time ago for a player as young as him, but if he was, you're then looking at a situation where Bamiang's reaching the end of his time. There's an opportunity for him to come into the team and replace him and compete with Eddie and Ketia. But after we signed Jesus and gave Nketiah a brand new contract and a lot of money, it seemed that door closed pretty much immediately as well. So it's a shame. But uh, what's not a shame is hopefully the amount of money that Arsenal will be able to get. And this summer, I think we all agree, is going to be the, the biggest amount of scrutiny Edu has probably faced regarding player sales and how he navigates that area of the market. Um We've got, uh, I say, a couple of questions, maybe. Um, I know that after day after uh, a situation with uh, without a win, uh, people aren't as keen, it seems. But I think you've got one question to discuss, um, Kai, before we wrap up. I do, yeah. Uh, let me just get it up here. So, uh, yeah, this is on Twitter. And it's from Dave Murphy. Uh, ben White's erratic form lately, he says. Uh, one game is good and the next game he's poor. Uh, he was miles off it yesterday. What do you guys make of that? I I thought, you know, we we discussed this a little bit off air and I said that I felt like he played like a player on a yellow card. Uh, and that's exactly what he was. You know, from the 25th minute, he was carded. And then you're in a situation where you've got to play 65 plus minutes. And I think there was about 11 minutes of total added time in the six in the second half and the five in the first half that was going to lead to a significant amount of of issues and timidness, I think, from him. And I think he played like a player on a yellow card. But even before the yellow cards, I thought his passing was a little bit off. Uh, and that obviously led to him getting the yellow card because that little misplayed pass led to him then diving in on Jota and getting it. It wasn't... It's people saying it was harsh that he got booked. I don't think it was. I thought it was a really dangerous challenge on Jota and actually if anything he was lucky he got the ball because if he didn't it could have been even worse for him unfortunately in that position but yeah that's kind of my thought I'm not concerned anyway because I think he's been up there with Trippier as the best right back in the league this season so I think it's just one of these off games that he's had but it worries me that there's no backup to him is the concern yeah that is the problem and I do wonder if when Arsenal had gone to their uh, back three formation as they did later on with, with Kivio. And mm. if Tommy Asso had been fit, then maybe Ben White would have moved central or maybe Ben White would have stayed as a wing back or something like that. Um, I just think it was a bit difficult for him, especially as you say, after that yellow card. But I do think he wasn't having the best of games before that. And I don't think that excuses how poor he was in possession. I thought he gave the ball away quite a lot. And I see what the question is saying in the sense that it does seem a bit hit and miss sometimes with him at the minute. And it was interesting that just before Tomiassi's injury, Tomiassi was coming in and getting a few more games. And that suggests that maybe Arteta shares those sentiments. And it's tough for him because we forget this is a brand new position for Ben White and he's done fantastically in it. And, you know, I want to caveat any criticism with that fact. But I just think that he needs to find a little bit more consistency at this key stage of the season. And, you know, Arsenal will be fine. But, it says something that he's gone from centre-back to right-back and none of us have really even noticed. So he's a fantastic player and, you know, I think hopefully he can find the, the levels he was able to, to show throughout the first half of the season for these last nine games because Arsenal are going to need it. Eight games. Only eight left. Eight games. Eight left. 
flying by um and uh yeah hopefully it ends of course in the way that we want and ben white will be if indeed we do lift that that trophy at the end of the season a big part of the reason why we have so whilst i agree there's some criticism maybe to be had especially in this game i think overall we can be very happy with his performance uh we are going to wrap things up there thank you everybody uh for listening and uh and continuing to support the channel and the podcast uh we'll be back assumedly next week uh to bring you reaction of that game against west ham uh kyra of course will be uh, speaking to Mikel in the press conference ahead of that game and we'll hopefully hear some more information about the likes of William Saliba who we haven't talked about today because there's just not been any information still uh, around his status so if you've been wondering why we've not that's the reason as to why uh, Eddie Nketiah too is nearing a potential return also so hopefully there's some more positive news in Arsenal could who never knows we may be looking at a completely fit squad touch wood uh, in the next week or two I've tempted fate too badly there uh, Kaya thank you for your time mate. anything to shout out before we wrap up no, just your. I love your ambition for Tommy Asher and El Nenny. You've, you've, you've recovered. Oh, of course. Yeah, I've completely. <laughs> Fantastic. That's great. Great to have them back. Aside from that, what's going on? Uh, yeah. Not too much. Not too much until sort of the, the latter half of the week when it's press conferences and all that kind of stuff. And any other stories that come up, of course, we'll, we'll bring them to you on Football London. So that's it, really. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, as Kai said, you can continue to follow our written work over at football.london. We'll be having more streams, of course, for you on the Arsenal way over the course of the weekend. Mikel Arteta's press conference in the lead up to the game against West Ham. Um, but yeah, have a fantastic week. Um, watch the European action. I, th- I suppose keep your fingers crossed that Man City stay in the Champions League, I guess. Um, we want to see them playing as many games as feasible possible and uh, and getting as tired as feasibly possible. Uh, and of course, the same goes for West Ham on Thursday. That's a game that obviously Arsenal fans may have an eye on as well to see how they get on. And uh, fingers crossed Man United get knocked out of the Europa League as well is something that we don't want to see them progressing through for another potential trophy. Thank you for listening, guys. Uh, we'll see you again very soon. You can drop a like on the video, of course. Subscribe to the channel. Leave a review on audio platforms. Follow Kyra on Twitter at KyaKine97. Follow myself at Tom Canton Media and we'll see you again very soon have a great day and as always keep following us down the Arsenal way with our views from the clock end